First of all, we need to correct the date for the widow's uh, ministry work day. That will be March 21st, I believe, Kim. Is that correct? Okay, I wanted to verify before I said that again. And also, one thing we, we failed to mention, um, last week we had a vote, and Tommy was unanimously chosen to be an elder of this church. And I want to thank you guys for that. Let's that's give not only Tommy, let's give God a hand for that, providing leadership to us. And we'll talk a little bit about that leadership today um, in what we're doing. Uh, in Brothers Keeper, we've been talking about our responsibility to other Christians today is primarily who I'll be speaking about. Not those out in the world, not those outside the church, not those outside this circle here this morning, but primarily those that attend Journey Church, primarily those that attend and say they are Christians and what that means, what that looks like, and how we as leadership and you as as followers in this church, followers of Christ. Oh, Kidmo dismissal. Sorry. I had to get my announcements in, that I, that, and we've got to dismiss Kidmo. Kidmo, kids, you are dismissed. Thank you, Sean. Um, but, yeah, we, we want to talk about being our brother's keeper, what that looks like, what that looks like to you as a congregation, what that looks like to the leadership here, and how all of that flows, because it has often either been ignored or abused. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground in churches. It's either ignored completely or abused to the point that people don't want to attend and it turns them from Christ. So we don't want to fall on either of those extremes this morning. So we're going to talk about what this looks like, what it looks like to judge people. Oh, that's bad, isn't it? Anytime on Facebook that somebody hits your sin, the first thing that you say on Facebook is, judge not, you can't judge. Oh, God said you can't judge. Oh, you're being bad. Shame, shame, shame. You're judging, aren't you? not exactly true. We're going to explore that concept today, that there are things that we can, we can righteously judge, and there are things that God says is right and wrong, and we as Christians have every responsibility to speak out about some things. It's not simply a turn your head, don't ask, don't tell type thing, and we need to learn about that, but learn about it from a loving way, the way that Jesus would have us to do that. So let's pray as we start this morning. Heavenly Father, and thank you for the crowd here this morning, all of our friends and family and guests, Lord. We thank you for each and everyone that's here attending this morning, Lord. Uh, pray this morning the Holy Spirit will guide me in the right words to say. Lord, I don't want to come across as harsh or condemning, and that's actually part of our text this morning, Lord. It's how I want to help others, Lord, to help themselves. Help bring restoration to those who are in sin and not condemnation, God. And I want that to come across clearly this morning. I ask that the Holy Spirit guides me and also guides the hearts of those listening this morning, Lord, so that we can come out of here with something that is productive for our lives and honors you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Judge not. Judge not. Judge not. You know, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 starts with judge not. Do you know there's actually more to that verse than that? If that was all the verse, it would be like the shortest verse in the Bible. Does everybody know what that is? Jesus wept. Well, some people have taken it, and now that has a counterpart to it, and it's judge not. They evidently think there's only two words in that verse. Judge not. You can't judge me. You can't, you can't speak into my life. How dare you think that you're better than me, and you can speak into my life and tell me what to do? Judge not. Look at what the actual text says in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We've actually spoken about this multiple times here. I don't know if you remember one day I came out with a, a large stick in my eye and went to the audience trying to poke people in the eye with it. You know, we've had some fun with this verse. We've talked about this before. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here except to say Matthew 7 is speaking about hypocritical judgment. It's not talking about being able to pronounce right and wrong according to what God's word in scripture says. It's not about that. It's about me being the biggest hypocrite in the world telling you how bad you are. That's what this verse is about. It's about us not taking the care of the sins in our own lives while we think we can go and meddle and tell everybody else their business. That's what that's about. It doesn't say for you that are in right standing with God, those of you who have repented of your sins, those of you that know Scripture, that you can't go and say, God says this is wrong and it's unbecoming of a Christian and you shouldn't do it. That is not what that verse says. That verse says, don't be openly sinning, don't be unrepentant, and then go and try and correct someone else with your judgment. That's what that verse says. And it has been so misused, it's misused by society. If people outside the church don't know any verses, they know John 3.16 and do not judge. Judge not. That's, the, that's what the world sees because the church has at times gone the wrong direction on this. Look at our little cartoon graphic this morning. If Sean could pull that up for us. Uh, did Mark not get that in the notes? Ah, no big deal. I've got the text right here. It says, while you were busy judging others, you left your closet door open and a lot of skeletons fell out. And it's a picture of a skeleton sitting there. So, yeah, we do have skeletons in our own closet. And while we're busy judging others, sometimes those things come back to hit us. You know, if you don't want to be judged, that's what they're saying. Judge not, lest you be judged as well. So be careful about judging others when you have a ton of skeletons in your own closet. But the purpose of that judgment isn't to condemn in the first place. Judgment isn't about punishment. It's about restoration. God isn't looking to condemn and destroy us. He is looking to restore us. Since that is God's purpose, it should be our purpose as well. What Mark said last week, if you were here, our purpose is not to judge and condemn is to judge and restore. Can you see what a difference that is in those two things? They're really polar opposites. Judging to condemn versus judging to restore are two different things. You know, judging to condemn is to you know say this is awful, this is you know th- this is bad. Judging to restore is saying here's how I can help you. Can, I can even put this. I think Kelly just walked in. I can put this in a. My buddy Kelly will understand. I can put this in car vernacular for you. Amazing, isn't it? You, you would have never thought I would go there. Judging a car show, I can judge, and I've done it many times, judge a car show, and you're looking for imperfections that set the cars apart. Okay? That's what I'm doing. I am looking for imperfections that set the cars apart because they're so equal. They're so nice looking. I may have to go down to the point that one guy, I had to explain to him that I docked him a point because he had a cobweb that went from the accelerator pedal, the top of it up under the dash. That's how close we were judging cars that day. Now... The restoration part of that is when the guy comes and says, hey, I realize I didn't get first place, Scott. You looked at my car. What could I do to improve it? What would it take to make that car better and to make it where maybe I could win a trophy? 
That's an entirely different concept there. That's the restoration project process. That's saying, well, hey, when I looked over your car, I noticed your underhood wiring wasn't what it should be. Or, you know, you didn't clean your tires or your fender wells were dirty. And, if you know, if you would improve those things, you know, I wouldn't, those would be things we wouldn't have to judge and knock off points for. That's a restoration-type process as opposed to the process of saying, you know, that, that's just a bunch of junk there. You should have known better. Your car is trash. You should have cleaned that up. I don't even want to look at your car again. It's a difference between a condemning spirit, a judgmental spirit, and a restorative spirit. Listen to this. It says, if God wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world, so he sent a savior. Didn't send Jesus to condemn us. We already knew we were lost to sin. We had the law. We had the Old Testament. We knew that we couldn't live up to the standards. There was no doubt about that. We had sacrifices in the Jewish temple that, that covered those sins until Christ could come and be our redeemer. That's the reason he's our redeemer and not our condemner. He covers those sins for us. So why should we even be concerned with that speck in our brother's eye? What do you think, guys? Why should we even be concerned with that? Are we not meddling? If we're worried about the speck in someone else's eye, they say, I've gotten the beam out of my eye. I've gotten the specks out of my eye as far as I know. Well, why is it my business to go and tell you about the speck in yours or to help you with the speck in your eye? And this is something Mark said last week that I thought was really good. He says, true friends truly help each other. You know, sometimes you can't say, what if you're out here, how many of you wear contact lenses? How many of you can put them in without looking? How many of you cannot? <laughs> I've got to, you know, or if I've got something in my eye and I don't have a mirror, I have to have somebody else look. Hey, is that contact still in there? Does that look like that's right? What, what's the deal there? Sometimes we can't see the speck in our own eye. We need help with that. We need someone else to look into our eye and tell us, hey, there is something there. And one of the roles of Christians in the church is to remove the speck in our brother's eye before it becomes infected, causing our brother to lose not only his eye, but life itself. You know, have you ever thought about that? That speck in your eye, especially some of you that work out with, with wood or metal or things where your you know, shavings and sparks and things are flying, you can get that in your eye and it can destroy your sight if it's left there, if it's not taken care of. There can be all kinds of ramifications, even to the point that if you got a bad enough infection, you could die from what you thought was just a speck in your eye. And it is our job as Christians in the church to help each other remove those specks. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, and this is where Paul is pointing out some sins in the church. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. That means he's having relations with his stepmom. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I was there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. Pretty negative so far, isn't it? And that he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? What that saying is, this church in Corinth, what they had done is they had taken God's grace so far that they're like, you know, 
We've got a brother over here and he's sinning. But we're so good and we're so accepting that we've let him continue in sin. And Paul's like, no, you can't do that. That's not the point. You're supposed to help him get out of sin, not condone the sin. You're letting sin go on in your church that even the people outside the world that aren't in church say is wrong. And you've gone to the extreme that you've said it's okay. It's not okay. Because why? That speck of sin can destroy both the sinner and the church. How many of you have ever been in a church, any of you that were raised in church or, or have relatives that were, and have seen where a speck of sin destroyed an entire church? I've seen it. I've seen it close the doors of a church because sin was left. Someone was not accountable for what was going on. That sin spread and spread through the whole church until the church was no longer effective and it was ruined and destroyed and no longer had the opportunity to minister the gospel to those in the community because of one speck of sin that was not addressed. Now, how do we get rid of that sin? Well, first of all, we have to remove the sin from the individual. Listen to this verse from Matthew. It says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. In other words, if you had this speck in your eye that was going to kill you, it would be better to reach up and pluck your entire eye out and throw it away than to die from it. And that's what this is talking about, that this this sin in your own life left unattended can kill you. It can be so horrible that in the end you lose your very life. Now, how do we remove the sin from the church? This is a continuation from 1 Corinthians 5 that we were at a moment ago. It says, Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Now, some of you are probably thinking, God, I hope he don't come to the... You know, the audience this morning start throwing people out the door. Hey, we, you know, we joked this morning we should have taken the offering up first <laughs> in case we offended anybody this morning. But hey, guys, I'm not here to offend. I'm here to t- tell you what this says. And, and there is a serious side of Scripture about this, of what happens with sins in the church and how we need to, to take care of those things. But we, we're not here to abuse it or do anything like that. We're just here to point out there are steps, and we're going to go through some of those steps here in a moment as, as I go through on through this morning's sermon about how we actually handle this in the church. But right now, the one thing I want you to do and to remember is once that speck is removed, whether it's in the church or whether it's in an individual, once that speck is removed, don't continue in the activity that put it there in the first place. Okay, I'm out in my shop. I'm grinding on something out here. You know, no safety glasses on. You guys that work in the industrial environment know you've got to have your safety glasses on. Boom, get something in my eye. <laughs> you know, the next time, wouldn't it be smarter just to put the safety glasses on and not do that grinding without the proper gear? That's what this this is talking about here don't continue to do the same activity over and over and thinking you're going to get a different result oh i can grind today and i'm not going to get anything in my eye no it's going to happen over and over so you need to change your pattern you need to change your lifestyle you need to change the things that are causing that in the first place now when we sin does god forgive us how many believe god forgives you of your sins how many of you believe it strains your relationship with God if he forgives you of that sin and you keep doing it over and over and over? So, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, how are we supposed to fix that in our lives? 
Well, we're supposed to ask God about it. We're supposed to ask him for guidance, for strength, for those things that we fall into temptation over, but not to keep going back to them. That is one of the biggest problems in the church today is it's so easy to abuse God's grace. It's so easy to say, well, God forgives. Y'all said that. I've heard it from the stage many times. Y'all say God forgives. So I'm okay. It's okay. God's forgiven me. Well, what does the Scripture say about that? What does Scripture say about that grace? How it's supposed to be applied to our lives? How we're supposed to use that and what that looks like? Let's look in Romans chapter 6. It says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. One thing I want you to look at in that verse is, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to right living. Does that not indicate that we always have a master that, that is controlling us? You know, we're, we're big, especially in the United States, about it's my right to do this. It's my right. You can't trample my rights. Once we become followers of Christ, our rights are gone. We no longer have rights. Those rights we gave to Christ when we decided to follow him. And our only reaction is supposed to be to following Christ and what he says to do. We no longer have that path of I can decide what's right and wrong. We've said... God, I want to follow your son, and I want to see what he says is right, and that's what I'm going to do. We don't have that ability to make that decision to ourselves. And if we haven't taken that path, we are a slave to sin and the things that drag us down in life, the things that we can't conquer. Now, thinking about slavery, what would you think about a slave that you've gone and you've rescued? You know, whether it's in our country, one of the things that, that we struggle with these days is the sex traffic trade where people are are slaves in that that industry now what would you think if you took someone out of that slavery in that industry and they live for you know two or three weeks and say well i think i'll go back and do that what would you think about that wouldn't you think that's crazy you know we should never blame or we should we would never blame someone forced into slavery for their condition but what should our reaction be when given the opportunity to escape that they go and put the chains back on because they feel that is where they are the most comfortable. You know, it talks about in the end of that verse in Romans, it says, you're free from your slavery to sin. You know, you've, you've gotten rid of those chains, those things that bound you. What happens when people want to go back? What that usually is is a sign that we truly haven't dealt with whatever that sin is in our lives. Whatever it is, we haven't dealt with it appropriately. For some reason, we have not gotten hold of that and repented from it. True repentance from sin brings about life change, okay? True repentance is not, first of all, the word repentance, which is often abused and, and, and not properly defined, is turning from the sin and turning towards God and how he directs you in that area of your life. Now, if you're not going to repent of that, things aren't going to change in your life. If you have truly 
turned away from that sin in your life, there should be a change in yours. I want to pull up this next graphic. Now, this, this graphic is, is especially meant for addiction and recovery ministry type things. But, but I want you to think of it as this. The addiction is sin and the recovery is repentance. And let's go through this list. On the sin side, it's all about me and what I want. If I repent, it's how can I be of help to others? On the sin side, it's about lying, cheating, and manipulating to get what I want, what's best for me. On the repentance side, it's willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness that allow me to get what I need. On the sin side, it's I can take care of myself. On the repentance side, it is there is something bigger than me, and that is, is, is God and His Son, Jesus Christ. On the sin side, it's rationalize, justify, and minimize when I'm wrong. On the repentance side, it's owning my part, admitting my faults, and trying to grow from them. On the sin side, it's projecting a false image of myself. On the repentance side, it's I'm no better and no less than anyone else. And finally, on the sin side, it's hide and deny my fears so as not to appear weak. And on the repentance side, it's acknowledging my fears and limitations and asking for help. That is one of the reasons I so enjoy working in our chaos management group and the other things we do outside of that, that are addiction recovery based and that sort of thing is we are following this path that is so biblical about dealing with the sin in your life and repenting of it and moving forward. That's what this is all about. That's what every Sunday morning here should be about. It should be your opportunity to examine your life and see what have I done here that isn't appropriate to God. And guess what? Where do you think we get that guidance from? Well, how do we figure out what's right and wrong in our lives? Are you just going to listen to me? I'm going to tell you being anything but a Packers fan is a sin to God. You better not listen to me. I'll make up stuff. How do you know? Where do you look? Bible. Gosh, you can even take, you know, you can get the Bible. You can even sneak looks at it on your phone now. Some of you may be following along on you version this morning. You can get the Bible right here. Any question yet? You can search for it even. Is it okay for me to shack up with so-and-so Bible verse? You can Google that and it'll give you the answer. Do you believe it? But you know what? It, it, it even causes some people to snort. It's amazing. Let's see. Shack up Bible verse. Let's just see what we get. What does the Bible really say about shacking up? OpenBible.com. Five reasons shacking up before marriage is a bad idea. The truth about shacking up in the Bible. Living in sin. Shacking up before... Wow! How hard was that? God even gave us an electronic tool to tell us. If you don't happen to be here some morning and you're wondering about is that a sin, you could probably just... I'm not going to do it, but I could probably even ask Siri and she would help me. How many of you use Siri? Yeah. Siri, is shacking up a sin? I, we won't go there. There's no telling what she'll say. Because I've asked her if Bill Gates was the Antichrist and she didn't answer, but... You know, so we have to look at these things based on what Scripture tells us. And I've heard this one a million times. God has given me a piece about this. It's a common excuse that people use to keep living in sin. God does not give you peace concerning something that's contrary to what Scripture teaches. You can't tell me that I'm okay. God and I have dealt with this. No, you've ignored it. God's still looking at it, and you're just going to go on in life like it never happened. That's what that means. God doesn't give you peace about those things that are contrary to His Word. You know, 
And I'm not looking for a perfect church this morning because I know it doesn't exist because I know its leadership isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. Mark's not perfect. Until the announcement blow up today, I thought maybe Mark was a little more perfect than me, but he's, he didn't know the difference between the first and second song. So, hey, we got that train wreck. And then I got up here and I thought, well, that'd be a great joke. I can make fun of Mark. And then I forgot to dismiss the kids. Hey, none of us are perfect. And that includes your leadership. And that's the reason it's so important that this is a community. And we look at Scripture for the answers. you know. But none of us have arrived. I think, And actually, I think Leslie tweeted about this last week. Mark said, you know, maturity doesn't mean that you've arrived. Maturity means that you just keep working at it or something to that extent. That was one of the points from Mark's sermon last week. We haven't arrived just because we've accepted Christ. I'm not done. Christ's not done with me. I'm going to continue to grow as I mature, and I'm going to learn things that I didn't know when I was a new Christian. So what does that look like inside the church? It's a difficult topic, okay? And I'm going to separate out. We'll have... hmm, We've got more people on this side, so this will be the bad side in church. We've got more people, the less people here, this will be the good side. Don't get offended, this is arbitrary. We'll be talking about hypocritical and ego here in a moment. So those of you that did this, you know, that'll be part of this, this discussion. But no, we have distinct groups of people within these walls this morning, and I realize that. We have people that are here this morning that are just testing the waters. They're just dipping their toe in the pool to see if they want to go in or not. We have people that haven't even said they've accepted Christ. They haven't said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what the scriptures say, and I want to base my life on that. We have people, maybe that's this side, that haven't said that. Then we have this side over here that have said clearly, I want to be a leader at Journey. I want to be a part at Journey. I want you to know that I want to serve Jesus Christ with my life, and I want that everything that I do to reflect that I'm doing that will of God. Okay? Do you not see the problem that that makes for, for us as pastors and leaders and stuff? That's two different groups of people. We've got a group of people over here that don't even know Jesus, and we've got a people that do. So how do we fix that? What do we do? You know, what do we do with those that struggle? And here's one of the ways that we've done this. There's a difference in helping those within the church who struggle with sin as opposed to those who embrace it as a way of life and are not willing to change. Okay? If you come to us, especially as a Christian, now we're going to go back and talk about the little group over here. If you come to us and say, I am struggling with this sin, it can be a lot of different things. We are going to want to, first of all, sit down and talk to you. How can we help restore you? How can we make this better? We're not going to say, you shouldn't have done that. Oh, my goodness, you should know better. You're a Christian. Yep. Of all people, you should know. Did you not read that in Corinthians? That was, you can't live with your stepmama. That, no, that's wrong. You can't do that. That is not the approach to take. It's not to let people know. If someone is coming to me and saying, I need help with something, that tells me they've already dealt with the part in their life that says this is wrong and I don't need to be doing it, okay? I don't think they need me piling on top of them to tell them that part. We can sit down and, and as brothers and sisters in Christ and go through the scriptures and look at that and see, okay, what steps do you need to take then to get where you need to be? I think that's the first thing. Are you willing to take steps to move from point A to point B? Again, folks, I am talking about Christians who have identified themselves as such. I am not talking about those who are exploring Christianity in the church and trying to figure the whole thing out. They don't have the same equipment that Christians do. The Holy Spirit does not live within them. 
they do not have the same set of guidelines that we do. Now, it's available to them, but they have to make that decision first. I'm talking about those that have made the decision. This is what I want to do. This is what I want my life to look like. One of the main things that we want to see are people taking steps. And you know what? Everybody's gait is a little bit different when we're walking, right? Some people take big steps, walk, you know. Some people, we joke if we go walking somewhere, my daughter Allison, she has to walk twice as far as us because she takes little steps. She's, she's much shorter than I am, so her stride isn't as long. And that's the same way it is when people are looking at the restoration process within the church. Some people are able to make big old steps and go, man, they're, they're, they're really getting it done. Some people have to take smaller bite-sized steps that they can manage. Some people can't make that big step all at once. God is with us throughout that, though. That's the key. We're looking back and asking God, is this the right step? No matter whether it's a big one or a little Okay, did I do that right? Help, help guide me. Am I, am I working on this? As long as you're making those steps, you're making progress. You're trying to become the person that Christ wants you to. But now there's a big difference in Christians who do that versus those who say, Oh, woe is me. I can't conquer this sin in my life. I can't do anything about it. Oh, you don't know how awful it is. Please help me. Well, let's take some steps. I really don't have time for those steps. Can we just pray about it? Is there not a pill I can take? You know, is there some easy way out of this? Those steps look kind of hard. Matter of fact, they look look pretty darn tough to me. Is there not an easier way to do this? Let's don't take those steps. I, I don't, no, I don't, I don't know about that. So what happens is they decide, I can manage it myself. Going back to our list of things there is, I can take care of it myself. Six months, year, two years, five years, it doesn't matter. I've seen it all happen. They come back and guess what? They're still in the same place and come back and ask the same thing. What can I do? Here's the steps. Here it goes with the steps again. What's with this guy? He thinks there's these steps. Yes, there are steps for you to take. You need to start taking small ones at a time and work on your journey. Because from the last time we talked to this time, you didn't make the first step. And that's what we want to see as Christians within Journey Church. I want to see people making steps to correct it. I'm not going to judge you based on your progress. I'm going to judge you based on your attitude and your willingness to do what God tells you to do. And I think that's a big difference in what most churches would tell you. Now, again, this is for Christians. That has always been the intent and mission of Journey Church is to meet you where you are, but not leave you chained to your sins. What kind of church would we be if we say, well, everybody come on in. Yeah, yeah, this is great. You're all welcome and all. And I see you are absolutely destroying your life, and I'm cool with that if you're cool with it. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? Yeah, go ahead. Wreck your life. We've seen it happen a million times. It's going to end that way. No big deal, though, because if you're okay, I'm okay. And again, I'm not talking about people that haven't fully dove into that pool we're talking about that, that want to, to be able to, to go to the deep end of the pool is one of our sermons talked about, one of our series about, about diving in and being able to not touch bottom and, and being assured that God is going to, to keep us afloat. I'm talking about those people that have made that decision that they have got to get there. Now, what if that's not happening? How should we address sin in each other's lives? How many of you have ever had sin in your life addressed unpleasantly? If you don't raise your hand, you never had a parent. <laughs> okay? 
Most things that parents correct us on are usually sins. It's not just because they didn't like something. It's usually because we as children have done something that is not appropriate. Okay? You know, don't touch the stove eye. Well, do you think they're just telling you that for fun? No, you will burn yourself, you fool little child. What's wrong with you? They're thinking that. But we, we look at that. That was a sin. We were disobeying. Then we go and get burned. You know, why, why did that happen? It was because of disobedience. It's because we didn't listen. But we've all had that problem. We've had those sins in our lives. And that's how parents address them. Parents, I will say this, parents that are effective usually very directly look at those things in their children's lives. They don't say, well, honey, I know the stove is hot. But you're your own person. And you should explore this and explore this in your life and see what the results are when you think of it. You should go and touch the stove eye, perhaps, and see if truly mommy's not lying to you that it is hot. Yes, that's what you should do. You should explore it. No, we don't do that because we love our children and we don't want something bad to happen to them. We say, don't touch the hot thing. What's wrong with you? Don't do that. I don't want you to get hurt. What God does in our lives. Don't touch that sin. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want it to happen to you. But how do we go in each other's lives and do that? Well, there is the famous pastoral passive-aggressive way. Anybody ever been a part of that church? Now, brothers, I'm not going to mention it to you today, but there's someone out here that has the gross sin of fill in the blank. I'm not going to look you in the eye. And then it's like, how many of you ever watched, I guess it was really on the Jay Leno's Tonight Show, where they identify people in the audience that have done certain things, and then all of a sudden the camera zooms in and frames them. Well, that's kind of what this pastor's doing. He says, I'm not going to... Those people that disrupt the service by snorting, they're not going to... You know, have you ever been in a church that's done that? I have. I've seen it. You know, we're not going to talk about hairstyles today. We're not going to talk about smoking. And there's only one guy with long hair and a cigarette in the entire church. You know who they're talking about. It's a passive-aggressive way of dealing with that. And it drives people from the church in droves. That person may not even be a Christian yet, and already you've condemned them. They don't want anything else to do with you. They don't want anything else to do with the church. They're done with you. They said, if you're going to judge me like that, I can go a lot of other places and be humiliated besides church. And it has happened. We've seen it happen. So what should we do? Matthew 18, 15 tells us this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, there are a series of steps in this, this verse. that I'm not going to go through all them because I want to concentrate on this. But the remaining steps are if you go alone and you get no result, take a brother with you that's a Christian, that, that you feel is, is a mature Christian enough to help you judge in this situation. Then if that doesn't happen, take it before the whole church. And then if they don't listen, just have nothing to do with them. Put them out. Don't, don't have anything to do with them. And that's the harshest method of that. But the problem is most of us want to skip that first step. Scott, my husband is awful. My husband does this. My husband does that. I said, well, have you talked to him about it? No, I want you to talk to him about it. Well, thanks a lot. Or my family member has done so-and-so. Well, yeah, can you go talk to them? They're in the hospital, I know, and they're dying, but they did this to me, and I want you to go make sure they repent of it. That's not the way this is supposed to work. It's supposed to work that we go one-on-one to start with, okay? We go to that person that has offended us and say, look, somehow we've gotten sideways with each other here, and we need to correct this, and I need to know. Or perhaps that we go to that person and say, look, 
we're friends, we have a relationship here. And I think there has to be a relational component of this. You go and you tell that brother or sister in Christ, say, I don't want to see you destroy your life because I love you. What can I do to help you? How can I help you? And those are tough conversations. And that is sometimes the reason I think those steps are outlined in Scripture of taking others with you if that doesn't go well on that first go-round is because sometimes it takes some counsel of many people to convince that person they actually are sinning and need help. So you can do that. That's one of the reasons we have an elder-led church here so that we have a multitude of people, more than one person, that is guiding this church. So if those things come up, they can be brought before the elders and say, guys, this is happening in the church. Somebody has mentioned it. I've seen it. I've talked to this person. How can we help them to be restored? What can we do about that? Now, here is the thing that I want you to know as a church at Journey, as family, and I, I say this dearly, this is not to sweep things under the run, but some of it ain't none of your business. Okay? Our purpose here is not to out people's sins. Not everyone needs to know everything that's going on. Many people are restored in private. And you need to ask yourself, are you more interested in a public condemnation for sinners in the church than for their private restoration? Their private restoration is not nearly as satisfying as seeing them condemned, is it? Seeing them dressed down, seeing them, I knew that. That's not the way to live. I know how to live. They should do this. If you find yourself in that place... You need to do a checkup on what's going on in your life because that's not the Christian way to look at restoring someone. Guys, there are things that Mark and I are privy to here that go on behind the scenes that you should never know about. And it's not because it's going to embarrass the church. It's because this is the way Scripture says to handle this. We've never had to go to the point of outing somebody in front of the entire congregation because they were so unrepentant of their sin that they didn't want to, you know, that we had to ask them not to be a part of journey anymore. Don't really see that happening. Okay? Don't be worried that, you know, you come ask us for help. The next thing you know, they're going to say, we didn't make enough progress this week on those steps. You're out of here. It's not what this is about. It's about us being a community, being a family working together through things that take a long and hard road sometimes to restore someone in. But we, we, we seem to crave that public condemnation of, are you doing something about that? Assure me you are. I assure you that Mark and I don't sit up here and go, well, we'll just let that one go. They're pretty good. We'll, we'll let that go. We'll not, not even address that. Not, I know it's a horrible sin, but I don't get involved in it. Do you know how much simpler our weeks would be if we took that attitude? It'd be a lot easier to be a pastor here. It'd be like, huh, whatever, whatever goes. No skin off my back, don't care. You know, it's okay. But we don't take that attitude because we love you and we want to see you restored. And we want to do that privately, without embarrassment, etc. Now, what are the big things that the church gets judged on? What do we say the major hangups about the church are? Why does the church seem to be so hung up on talking about sexual sins, alcohol, and drug addiction? Why do you think that is? Because our society's full of it, guys. It's easy. It's everywhere you look. And we have had those conversations here. We have had people that have asked about, what about my sin? Am I welcome there? Yes, you are. You can come in. I don't care what your sin is, you know. Now, if you are an embezzler, you're probably not going to be handling the offering. You know, there's some things that we, we use some smart guidance on there that say that you don't have that role in their church. 
But if you want to come in here and you have some sin in your life, you come on in. I'm not going to stand up here and say, I know you did so-and-so. Or I know you're seeing so-and-so. And I'm not going to do it passively, passive-aggressively either. Because I'm no better than you are. I don't want us to be that way. But what I do want to do is for you to clearly know what Scripture says about sin and what's sin and what isn't. It's simple. It tells us. There are so many things that it clearly points out. But I want us to know what is a sin and what isn't. I like this. The church gets the blame for talking about these sins, yet it's society's pushing the boundaries of morality that forces the church to take a stand. The current one is gay marriage. Well, if you're... Oh, my goodness. If you, if you don't accept gay marriage within your church, you're being what? Judgmental. Judge not. You can't judge those people. They love just like we do. But the Bible also specifically in both the Old Testament and New Testament points out that that's a sin. Okay? Now, you can come here with that sin in your life, but it's no different than any other sin. Don't get that wrong that we have this hit list of the top seven sins in the world, and these are worse than the ones that I commit. That's not true. They're all bad. God doesn't see them any, any differently. What it is, though, is when it pushes the church to make decisions, sometimes we have to come out and take a stand and say, this is wrong. You know, it, it's wrong. One of the things that, actually, I talked in one of my other small groups the other night was, this constant condemnation in our, our nation. How many believe ISIS is bad? I do. I believe that they're doing some wicked, evil things. I believe there's other groups that do wicked, evil things. And I don't believe that everyone that says they are of the Muslim faith is in a, is in a head, hidden terror cell in the United States waiting to jump out and kill me and rape, and rape my wife. But come on, folks. This is where we're being getting outside the bounds of what Scripture tells us. We need to look at things and carefully decide what are sins, what are not. Not group people together and love them. Even, if the, even though ISIS is evil and is our enemy, what does the Scripture tell us to do about them? Love them. Love our enemies. Thank you for, for reinforcing that. Now, do I think we should allow them to kill women and children and Muslims and Christians alike? No, I don't think we should allow that. But I also know that we're supposed to love them. But going back to the, the, the thoughts in the church, impure thoughts. Listen to what Romans says about this, our, our pushing of the boundaries of morality. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You know what? We wouldn't have to do counseling or anything else here if people would just read that verse and obey it. I mean, really, most of the hang-ups that people have are either sexual, addictions, family things, quarreling, jealousy, immoral living. That pretty much covers it. If you would just get those things right, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have so many people that were in dire. But we know that's not realistic. We know the reason that's in the Scripture is because people struggle with it. But one way we can help restore others is to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of others. How many of you are on Facebook? How many of you have ever said in your life, by looking at somebody's Facebook page, oh my gosh, I thought they were Christians? Because you saw something in that Facebook feed that you thought didn't represent the values of Christ. How many of you have seen that? How many think that's bad? 
You think that could be a stumbling block for people when they see that? Whatever it is, you know, it, it can be alcohol. It can be, you know, sexual pictures. It can be any of these things in nature that we're talked about here in, in Romans 13 that cause us impure thoughts. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. It says, be careful, however, that you the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Some of those things are not going to condemn us to hell. We've said many times, taking a drink is not going to condemn you to hell. But the Bible does teach about drunkenness. You see the, see the difference there? What happens is, though, we have Christians that rub that freedom in people's faces. Do you know there are people here this morning, if you have, if you post on there about liking wine or whatever, okay, that's, that's okay, that's your conscience, what you think is your limit between, between healthy living and drunkenness. You've got to decide that. But do you know for every one of us like that that can deal with that appropriately, there's somebody in the church that's looking at that that cannot. And then what we do is then we begin to condemn them and abuse our freedom by saying, that's your problem. I've got a control over it. That's your problem. If you can't handle drinking, I can't help that. But we're going out and we're going to the party. And I can handle my liquor and I know what my limit is. But it's your fault because you're not strong enough and you just need to straighten up. Is that the thing a Christian should be telling somebody else? That's absolutely crazy. Yet you see it all the time. You know, would you like to be judged by the world based on the things you post on Facebook? Man, that could be bad. Could I, have con- I have decided that, that Facebook in a lot of cases is the land of boobs, booze, and bad attitude. Because that's what everybody posts about. It's about my opinion. It's about sex. It's about drinking. You see it even from Christians. Come on, guys. We've got better things. And I'm not saying, but you know what really makes it worse is after you do all that? Well, then let me take you to church. And I'll post some Bible verses to go along with all this. I'm like, really? Do you not know how bad that is for our testimony? But that's what we have to deal with in society. And there is a reason the leadership and community of Journey Church are concerned about your lifestyle and relationship with Christ. It's because sin has eternal consequences. We're not here to condemn you and say, I don't like your lifestyle. I don't like the way you're living. You make the church look bad. You make yourself look bad. You know, really, those are all side points. To The main point is, from Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I believe that 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 death that it's talking about is not only if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're not following Christ, that's an eternal death. But I believe that sin brings death to our Christian lives here on earth as well. How many of y'all would agree with that? There are sins that we commit that we're going to ruin our lives, our testimony, and our work for Christ here on earth if we don't deal with those. So sin brings death no matter what it is. You know, but how do we deal with that? We deal with it lovingly. We deal with it in a, a restoration manner. We deal with it not condemning you, but coming and walking alongside of you and saying, I realize this. And guys, also, don't think I'm going to go home today and I'm going to go and go through all your Facebook profiles. Hmm, what are they posting about? Yeah, there's a, oh, going to call that one. We need to send them a letter. Oh, and that's the other way you do it. That's the passive-aggressive way to take care of this. I'll send you a letter about how bad your Facebook page was because I'd be embarrassed to talk to you in person about it. I mean, really, we do that as Christians because we're cowards sometimes. We think we can judge you from a distance without being in a relationship with you. And that kills our testimony, guys. That kills our testimony. But finally, I want you to look at these lyrics. That from This is from David Crowder's new, new album. And I think this is so appropriate for today, what we deal with. What I know some of you out there are going through. 
Here, listen to these lyrics. It says, lift your head, weary sinner. The river's just ahead. Down the path of forgiveness, salvation's waiting there. You build a mighty fortress, 10,000 burdens high. Love is here to lift you up, here to lift you high. If you're lost and wandering, come stumbling in like a prodigal child. See the walls start crumbling, let the gates of glory open wide. All who've strayed and walked away, unspeakable things you've done. Fix your eyes on the mountain, let the past be dead and gone. Come all saints and sinners, you can't outrun God. Whatever you've done can't overcome the power of the blood. That's a pretty good thing to close on today, guys, is to think that no matter how bad we mess up, no matter what the sin is in our life, no matter where we are, how far we've strayed, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is enough to make that right with God if we will only allow that to happen in our life by following following Christ, believing he died on the cross, died for our sins, and that through the power of him being raised on the third day from the dead, that that gives power in this world over sin because of his overcoming sin and overcoming the grave. That that gives us power in our own lives to go through these steps that we need to take. And it's not just to have others around you. That's great. That's what this community is about. So that we can come and embrace you and help you walk in those steps. And we'll walk along the path with you. But also to remember you have the Holy Spirit to guide you as a Christian. And if you don't have that experience in your life, I encourage you this morning to, to accept Christ and to accept that path to your life. And guys, maybe if you guys would start coming back up, you know, we'll, we'll have a last song here. But what I want us to pray about as we close is to do a little soul searching of our own, where, where we're at in life, what things that we're struggling with, the things that maybe God needs to address. And also, maybe there's nothing you're struggling with this morning, but you want to help someone else. Maybe you see someone else. Maybe that's been on your heart, a burden that, hey, this person's in a destructive relationship or something's going on in their life. I want to be able to walk beside them. And, and guys, we just want to be that, that prayer this morning. That as a church, we appropriately deal with sin in our lives in a restorative pathway. And let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this opportunity this morning, God, to, to bring a message that I feel is, is needed by all of us, including myself, of how we conduct ourselves, the things we do in our lives. But God, to also know that there's a a path of restoration that anyone here can take that, it's, that feels that maybe it's too late in their life, they've wandered too far away from you, God. But no, that is never true. Scripture tells us you are with us always, God. And even if we're a Christian and we've walked away, God, you're there. And if we're not a Christian, there's an open door for us to come to you and bring our sins and lay them at the foot of the cross and accept that Jesus has, has paid the price for us, Lord. And I pray this morning that that's on our hearts, not to be a down message that we're all sinners. We all know that, God. But to look at the at the positive side of this, that there are those in this community willing to help us res- to be restored in a relationship with you. And most of all, your Holy Spirit works through us in that, Lord. And I just pray as we close today that those will be the things on our minds as we leave today. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.